Amen. Thanks, Autumn. Thank you, Tanner, uh, for leading us this morning. It's a gift to us. Uh, well, welcome again uh, to Christ Central. Well, if you didn't know, uh, we're in the middle of a series in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. And so uh, if you're a first-time guest, uh, welcome. Uh, you're stepping into the middle of this series. We're working our way through this Old Testament book that if you have been here, you realize is a sobering book and that instead of giving us answers to our questions, more often it gives questions to our answers. Uh, we're being forced to examine and to question our lives here under the sun, our life here on earth. Uh, Ecclesiastes is the testimony of a man who is searching for meaning to life. It is the biographical account of a man who, likes, like us, wants there to be a formula to life. Uh, the author of Ecclesiastes, known as the preacher or the teacher, has lived and chased after everything to be imagined. Pleasure, success, education, power, sex. And he's found all of it wanting. And he realizes that there is no formula to life. Uh, I've got to say this morning, I'm thankful to one of my really good friends, Sean Slate, for his insight into our passage. Uh, we have titled this series in Ecclesiastes, Chasing Meaning. Uh, chasing it's a word that the preacher or teacher uses throughout the book. Chasing implies that you're reaching, running, striving after something or to get somewhere that you aren't right now. In all honesty, the chase in many ways can be fun. The chase can be challenging and the chase can even be noble. However, the struggle in every chase is the inability to enjoy the present. You cannot enjoy what you have and where you are because you're running away from it. You're blinded to the present, reaching and running towards that which is being hoped for. So this morning in our passage, the preacher is addressing chasing money, chasing money. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we do each week to give attention to God's word. We're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, through Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 2. This is God's word to us. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer. Whether he eats little or much, the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There's a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him in toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and to find enjoyment in all the toil which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them, and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. There is an evil that I've seen under the sun and it lies heavy on mankind. 
a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. Prophet Isaiah tells us that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Uh, Pray with me. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. Uh, God, a a very touchy, uh, sensitive subject where we have to deal with our own hearts and our own lives in regards to the pursuit and chase of money. I pray that you would uh, tender our hearts. I pray that you would enlighten our minds. And I do pray that you would transform us uh, this morning. Uh, May we see your great, big, generous heart towards us seen in Jesus as we spend time with you in your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. I wanted to start by sharing with you a painting that I came across this week as I was studying for this passage. Uh, This is a painting from a Renaissance artist named Quentin Macis. The title of this painting is The Moneylender and His Wife. I want you to look at this painting with me. Here we see the moneylender on the left. They're sitting at home measuring uh, all this, the coins, this pile of money, carefully examining every coin. Yet we also see this woman who's sitting next to him. It's the moneylender's wife. And she's looking through what appears to be a Bible, which we could presume was probably purchased by her husband. And she's having a devotional time, time with God and the word, except she's distracted by all the money being counted. As she turns the page of the Bible, her eyes are captivated by the coins in her husband's hands. Macy's painted this picture to drive home a serious point. The city in which he was living in at the time, Antwerp had become a world center for business and trade. And so he had a front row seat to witness how easily money can pull our souls away from the worship of God. Do we not all feel this tension? If you're a Christian here this morning, we believe that there's nothing better, that there's nothing sweeter than the gospel of Jesus Christ, the redemption of our lives, the redemption of this world through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Yet, we are easily distracted. There are many times when we are captivated by the new pair of shoes, that new dress, the new car, the new house, the stock market. And we would rather search the store or search the internet than spend time with God in his word. We are a culture and a people who suffer from a disease that has been coined affluenza, this unhealthy relationship with money. Well, if you saw uh, last Sunday, the Oscars, right? We're in award season. Uh, Last Sunday, we watched the Oscars. It's always a night of flash and glam, the who's who of Hollywood. I didn't know until this year that every attendee at the Oscars receives a gift bag. Did you know this? uh, Did you know what was in the gift bag this year? It was gifts totaling $150,000 per attendee. $25,000 credit for plastic surgery. $150,000 per attendee. That's a little silly. But who in here that didn't watch it or knows about it wouldn't go if invited? I'd go. (laughs) It'd be fun. 
Who wouldn't take a $150,000 gift bag? We are a society that suffers from affluenza. There, there was a study a number of years ago asking people what they would do for $10 million. Here's what came back. 25% of the people said they would abandon their entire family. 25% of people said they would abandon their entire church. 23% said they would become prostitutes for a week or more. 16% they would leave their spouses for $10 million. 10% would withhold testimony and let a murderer go. 7% would kill a stranger for $10 million. If you've been with us in this series, it comes as no surprise to you to hear the preacher tell us that chasing money is vanity. It's vain, it's futile, it's empty. He calls it in verse 13, a grievous evil. Now, before we jump in, I really want everyone to, to get this. He is saying that chasing money is vanity. He's not primarily talking to people who possess a lot of money. He is addressing how we all look to money, approach money, run after money. He's addressing everyone who has an unhealthy relationship to money that causes us to chase after it. And this can be the person who has a lot of money and the person who has little money. Now, before you start thinking that the preacher is declaring money itself is evil, we've got we've to hold on because Ecclesiastes doesn't allow anything to be that simple. The very thing that is a grievous evil in verse 13 in verse 18 is also good and fitting. Right? The irony of ironies is that the chase for wealth may be a grievous evil, but to not enjoy the gift of wealth is also, Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 2, a grievous evil. So we're going to look at, at money in two different ways. The evil of chasing money and then the good gift of enjoying money. So let's look first at the evil of chasing money. Look at verse 10. It says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. What he is saying is that money will never satisfy you. Two researchers, Diner and Myers, have been studying the issue of money and happiness for years. And they wanted to know how people in America would answer this question. How much money do you need in order to be happy? And what they found was that people who made less than $30,000 a year said that they would need $50,000 in order to fulfill their dreams. While those who made over $100,000 said they would need $250,000 to be satisfied. What the study revealed is that no matter where one is socioeconomically, we always want more. A person with 30 wants 50, a person with 100 wants 250, that more wealth requires more wealth that it is a bottomless pit that will never satisfy you. It's why the preacher says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. And the preacher continues in verse 11 and says, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. Theologian William Brown notes that, that all people are by nature economic beings, that all people in varying degrees consumers, that there is a food chain to wealth. There are those on top and those on the bottom. And the preacher, wealthier in his time than all of us combined in this room, is on the top of the economic food chain looking down on the rest of humanity and is telling us that there is no gain 
from being a hyper consumer. That consumption and the chase after more wealth will never render contentment. It only renders more consumption. It is a vicious cycle. And even if we become thankful at times, we can be distracted quickly by the things we don't have. And we want to climb the money chain. We become focused on how to get what we want. And we become disturbed when we don't have what we want or we become hasty and out of our discontent. We buy what we want now. We swipe the credit card, we drive up our personal debt and we buy something we don't have the money to afford. And I can already hear myself and many of you saying, okay, I agree, money doesn't satisfy, but if I had more money, I could buy a new car so that my car would never break down on me. If I had a little bit more money, I wouldn't have to worry about being in debt. If I had more money, I could live in that neighborhood that I really wanna live in. If, if I had a little bit more, more money, I could invest more in my retirement account. So we say that we don't think money satisfies but then we fall into believing the lie that it really does. Now, perhaps we would say we don't need money, but if you're here and you have children, this can go even deeper. We can believe that if we just had a little bit more money, we could protect our children. We might say we don't need the best things in life, but we want to give our children the best things in life. And so we wanna set our children up for success and for satisfaction, and we think it'll come through money, yet this too is a lie. Madeline Levine in her book called The Price of Privilege studied the impact of affluence on children. And what she has discovered is that the children of parents making $120,000 per year or more are, at, are some of the most at-risk children in our country today. She says, quote, America's newly identified at-risk group is preteens and teens from affluent, well-educated families. And in spite of their economic and social advantages, they experience among the highest rates of depression, substance abuse, anxiety disorders, somatic complaints, and unhappiness of any group of children in this country. Money will not satisfy you and it will not satisfy your children. Now, another thing we see about chasing money is that it will not give you peace. It will not give you peace. Look at verse 12. So sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. The preacher is saying materialism and chasing after money gives you a tummy ache. It causes indigestion. On another note, good work is enjoyable. At the end of the day, you can sit back and enjoy what you've done and go to sleep like a baby. But if you're chasing money, it will keep you up at night questioning if you've done enough, are doing enough, thinking about what you don't have and how you might obtain it. If money and wealth are what you look for, if work is the means to obtain wealth, it is like grasping smoke. It is elusive and you'll be preoccupied with it and you'll never be content. My boys love the Disney version of Robin Hood. If you've seen the older Disney version, uh, in it is the evil greedy Prince John. He goes to sleep every night with his bags of gold all around him. And throughout the night, he's restless, he's tossing and turning, worried if someone's gonna come and take his money. Money does not satisfy, money doesn't give you peace. The last thing that I wanna mention about the evil of chasing money is that it can blind you. 
it can blind you. Look at verse 11. It says, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? We feast our eyes on our possessions, which causes us to be blind and unable to see how we're doing in regards to the chase of money. Did you know that chasing money, or we could call it greed, is one of the only sins Jesus says, watch out for. It's one of the only sins he says, watch out for. Jesus doesn't say watch out for adultery because someone's not having an affair and then all of a sudden realizing they're having an affair. They know all along what they're doing. Greed, this chase of money on the other hand, is, is really hard to identify. We're not always aware of when it's happening and it can creep into our hearts by powerful sociological and psychological influences. And so Jesus says, watch out, be aware. Now, I want to give you a few things uh, that uh, show that we allow ourselves at times to remain blind to our chase of money. Here's one way we allow ourselves to remain blind is that we compare ourselves to others who have more than we do and give away less than we do. It is easy to justify our chase of money when we compare ourselves to people who earn more money than we do, have nicer homes than we do, drive nicer cars than we do. And then we want to examine how much they give away. But if you compare yourself to others, you can always say, I'm not as bad as they are, which keeps you in the dark about how deep the chase of money really is grasping your heart. Here's a second way we can remain blind is that we can live out of sight and thus out of mind. And when we live around people that are just like us, with the same resources and money as us, then we think it's okay to keep up with everyone else. If others upgrade their lifestyle, we upgrade our lifestyle. If others buy more, we buy more. And listen, we have the opportunity here at Christ Central here in Durham to be in proximity with each other and others in our city across socioeconomic lines. It's one of the things I love about this church is our desire to see all people dignified, valued, and welcomed into our community so that all people share their gifts and their stories so that every single person is strengthened by the other regardless of socioeconomic class. And if we do not avail ourselves to the gift of all people and the stories of all people, specifically this morning across socioeconomic lines, we can easily remain blind to how we are chasing money. So let me ask you a personal question. Do you avail yourself not just to to kind of mingle with people across socioeconomic lines, but do you really know people? Are you becoming friends with people that are different than you in regards to class? We have the opportunity here at Christ Central and in our, in our city to break down the walls of classism and we become better for it when it happens. We become better. Uh, verse 17, I've been sitting in all week in this passage, gives a great description of someone who chases money, this image of somebody who's caught up in the vicious cycle of hyper-consumerism. Look at verse 17, he says, Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. Instead of contentment, the product of a life spent chasing money is resentment and anger. Resentment and anger, two great indicators of a heart chasing money. Resentment, resentment, it's a bitterness about money. It's a, a feeling of being treated unfairly in regards to money. 
followed by anger, this frustration, displeasure, hostility about wanting or needing more money? Are you filled with resentment and anger as you think about money? And do you see that this isn't about the possession of money? This is about how we all view and chase money. So how should we think about money? Well, the preacher invites us to see wealth as a gift from God. And this is my second point, the good gift of enjoying money. Look at verse 18. It says, behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. No one in here should feel guilty for having money and for enjoying it. It is a gift to be able to take vacations. It is a gift to travel abroad or to go on a ski trip or to take your children to Disney World. It is a gift to be able to go out on a Friday night and eat good food here in Durham. Good gifts that God's given to enjoy. But look with me at verse 13. I think verse 13 is where we receive instructions for how to enjoy money while being mindful of our temptation to chase money. Verse 13 says, there's a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun, riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. See, our temptation is to hoard money. And if we do this, we will never enjoy the gift of money. Hoarding money hurts others and it hurts the owner of the money, the verse says. When we live with this hoarding mentality, it is oppressive and dehumanizing. We can begin to view people as pawns to our own personal playwright rather than image bearers of God that we're to share our life and to share our wealth with. We're being instructed that we're to enjoy the good gift of money by sharing it with others. Verses 13 through 16, we see why we should share and be generous with our money. Verse 14, he says, you could lose it all in a second. One bad business deal wiped all away. Verse 15, naked you were born into this world, naked you're gonna leave this world. As one author said, we will forsake riches when we die, so forsake riches while we live. In other words, let's travel lightly in this life. And if we understand this, then we can enjoy the good gift of wealth by sharing it with others. Whereas hoarding is dehumanizing, generosity lifts up humanity. It dignifies humanity, right? We all know that joy is found in sharing, don't we? Joy is found in sharing. It's why you want to watch your favorite TV show with someone else. You want to share it. It's why you like to go on a walk or a run with someone else. Or if you like to go on a walk or a run alone, you listen to your podcast and you at least want to share your podcast with someone else, right? What you're learning about. Because joy is found in sharing. So don't feel guilty if you have money, but share it. Be generous with it. Martin Luther once wrote that there are three conversions every Christian must go through. The conversion of the mind, the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the pocketbook. See, money's not evil. It is the chase of money that is. It is trusting money to give you something that only God can give you. We can be set free from the chase of money when we believe and when we trust that God has already shared everything with us. 
that everything he made, everything he enjoyed, and everything he called good, he has given to us to enjoy. He wants us to enjoy his love and his beauty and his goodness and his riches. And he shares it all with us. He is a God who delights to give good gifts to his people. I think we're tempted at times to think God's this miser in the sky, stingy, withholding good gifts, that he's got his arms crossed and he's making us dance to receive his gifts. But he is a generous God who shares all things with us. And the gospel we believe as Christians is proof of God's generosity. I mean, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That Jesus shared his life with us. Jesus gave himself in death so that we could share in his redemption. And when we are satisfied in God's gift of himself, when we rest in this gift, when we find our peace in this gift, when our eyes are set upon this gift, we not only can enjoy the good food he gives us and the sunset he provides and the conversation with a friend, but we will be able to enjoy all good gifts that come down from the Father in heaven, just as the greatest gift of Christ came down from heaven. We can enjoy God, we can enjoy his good gifts, and then we share them with others. See, God sent his son to give, to give us his love, to give us his forgiveness, to give us redemption. God is a giver, not a taker. And if we believe that God has given us everything, then generosity will be our way of living. Gratitude will be the posture of our own heart. Discontentment, resentment, anger, these things come from chasing after money. But gratitude, for all that God has done and all that God has given, it brings contentment, it brings satisfaction, it brings peace and rest at night. If we understand that God has graciously given us all things in Jesus, how will he not also graciously give us all things here on earth? We can be set free from the tyranny of the chase of money. I wanna show you again Massisa's painting one last time. Remember how I pointed you out both to the husband and, and the wife who are turning away from God because of their focus on money. Let me zoom, zoom in on this mirror there on the desk. The small little mirror on the table, it's, it's hard to see, but it's reflecting a window. And the window frame is intersecting to form a cross. You can't see it now because it's pixelated, but in the original painting, you can see that there's a person who's reaching out to grab a hold of the cross. And art historians know the face. It is the face of Quentin Massis. He painted himself into this picture. And what he is reminding himself, what he was reminding his people at his time is the same thing the preacher is reminding us this morning. That in this life under the sun, we must not look to money for satisfaction. Instead, we must hold on to Jesus and find full satisfaction in Christ alone. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would give us a deep satisfaction that comes from you. I pray you would give us peace and rest. I pray that we would be able to enjoy all the good things you've given us and that we would be generous and share because you've been so generous towards us. God, help us to understand your heart of generosity. 
and would it transform us to be a generous people. It's in your name we pray. Amen.